to help us understand what John sees and hears, the Apostle John sees and hears in Revelation 10, we need to look a little bit into Revelation chapter 11. So Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. This is what John the Apostle sees. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. This is Revelation 11, 15 through 18. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Look at verse 15 again. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Is there anyone here that when you read a story, like a novel, you read the ending first? It's okay. This is a safe place. You can confess that if you like. Some, okay, a couple. You go straight to the ending and read the ending first. One of my favorite stories of all time is like the Lord of the Rings. And there's a whole new series, right, Amazon Prime, you know, the Rings of Power. I haven't watched any of it yet, but my, whole, right, my favorite series, probably story of all time is Lord of the Rings. And I was thinking about that this week as I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about in Revelation. I was like, you know what? Imagine for a moment, like if Frodo and the fellowship that was with him, imagine if they knew that, like they knew the future, like they knew that Frodo and Sam were going to be victorious and put the ring. If you haven't seen it, I'm totally spoiling it for you, but Like, they knew, like, while they're facing all these battles and on this journey, like, they knew that Frodo and Sam would make it to the top of Mount Mordor and they'd throw the ring in the fire. They knew that evil was going to be defeated. Like, they knew that Aragorn, he'd be king, he'd be crowned king, and that they would be right there with Imagine, like, while they're on this journey, they knew all those things were going to happen. Like, they they knew, like, it was promised to them. Do you think that would have impacted them in any way of how they viewed the battles they were facing in the moment. Talk about that, right where you are, with people around you. How do you think, knowing the future, like for Frodo and them, knowing that they would be there in the end, and how do you think that would have impacted them and how they viewed and faced the battles that they were facing in the moment? Just take a couple minutes with the people around you and talk about that. Knowing how the future, right, knowing how the story ends or knowing the future before it happens impacts or it would have impacted how they lived their journey, right? And how they viewed and faced their battles in the moment. And what John is seeing here in Revelation chapter 11, he's seeing the seventh angel blow this trumpet. And in this moment, in that moment, he hears like this loud choir of voices and they're shouting. They're basically saying, evil has been defeated. The kingdom of Jesus is now on this earth. He has destroyed the destroyers. It is now. That moment has come. Jesus wins. Jesus is king. Jesus is ruling and reigning. That's basically what John is hearing this choir shouting and saying. And all of heaven, it says, erupts in praise. 
And what John is seeing is the end of the story, which is really the beginning. But this is what he's seeing the future before it's happening. John is actually seeing what, if you're a follower of Jesus, your future. He's, he's seeing what you've been promised if you're a follower of Jesus. That's a, it's marvelous to me. Right? And unlike Frodo and like the fellowship, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know the future before it happens. Right? You know that the future is Jesus winning, evil being defeated, Jesus as king coming onto earth and setting up his rule and his reign. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be right there alongside him. Like, we know that that's, that's the future. That's going to happen. And, and I think God in his grace allows John to see and hear this. And here's the truth I want us to get a hold of this morning. I think he allows John and, and to see and hear this and then record it for the first century church. Because knowing your promised future with Jesus ruling as king on earth is worth enduring the present struggle that comes with following him. Get that? Get, get, grab a hold of that, right? I think, I think God is allowing John to see what he sees in Revelation here, Revelation 11, because he knows that knowing your promised future with Jesus ruling as king on earth is worth in enduring the present struggle that often comes with following him. And so, as we back up into chapter 10 and go to chapter 10 with me, what we've just read in Revelation 11, I think, is going to help us understand what John sees in chapter 10. Now, let's just, before we unpack chapter 10, just a couple reminders when it comes to this book of Revelation, right? It can be super intimidating. But we need to understand as we pull back the curtain of this drama called the revelation of Jesus Christ, let's remember that this revelation is less about how the world is going to end and more about the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus. Right? That's the lens by which we want to understand this revelation, that it's less about how the world is going to end and more about the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus. Now, Let's kind of set the stage for Revelation chapter 10. Back in chapter 5, the apostle John, who's seeing this revelation, saw a scroll that had been sealed seven times. He then sees Jesus come and rip off each seal, one at a time. And each time Jesus rips off a seal, we see God perform some kind of act of judgment or justice onto the earth. All right, so that's what John has seen. And when, he, when Jesus opens the seventh seal, out comes seven angels ready to blow trumpets. Chapters 8 and 9, John sees six of the seven angels blow their trumpets. Every time an angel blows his trumpet, we see more acts of judgment or justice from God onto the earth. And what we also saw is that even in God's act of justice, we see him give an invitation of mercy saw that the last time. And so that's kind of where we are. So, so six of the seven angels have blown their trumpets. So John's waiting for the seventh angel to blow his trumpet. That's Revelation 10. All right, so John's kind of waiting. Okay, so I've seen six. Now where's the seventh? While he's waiting, he sees another angel. And that's what we are going to see in Revelation 10. So you tracking? All right. Okay, so let's look at chapter 10, verse 1. 
Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. Stop there. What in the world is going on here? So we see all these different things. An angel coming down from heaven, a cloud, rainbow, face like the sun, legs like pillars of fire. What's all this mean? Use the Bible to understand the Bible. Good tool there. You need to get a hold of that. Always use the Bible to understand the Bible. So when you think of like cloud, pillar of fire, where do you think John, who is a Jew, like where do you think his mind might go? Probably back to the Old Testament, right? Back to when God led his people out or through the wilderness. How did he lead them? Through cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And actually, John sees here in Revelation 10, a rainbow. Now, that could be referencing back to the rainbow that Noah saw, that God gave to Noah. Might be referring to that. It could also be referring to the rainbow around the throne of Jesus that John saw back in Revelation chapter 4. Then you see the brightness of the sun. Usually, that's used as a description of the very brightness and brilliance of the splendor and the glory of God. So I think really what all we're meant to understand with that is that this angel is coming from the very presence of God because all of those things are associated with the presence of God. So I think we're just simply to understand that John is seeing that this this angel is being sent directly from the presence of God. Let's keep reading, verse 2 through 4. So he has a little scroll open in his hand, this angel, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So John now sees this angel who's being sent, coming from the very presence of God, and he's holding this little scroll. Think of like a booklet. All right, so this angel's got this booklet. He's got one foot on the land, one foot on the sea. And I think simply that's just to understand that the message that the angel has is for the whole earth. So this, this angel that's being sent from the very presence of God has this little scroll. It's already opened, and it seems that what he's about to communicate is a message for the whole earth. And he speaks, and when he speaks, his angel speaks, it sounds like the roar of a lion. And as soon as the angel speaks, John hears like these seven thunders. Then what? John's like, this is amazing. So he goes to write it down. Then what happens? He hears another voice from heaven say, don't write it. Don't write anything down. Don't write down what the thunders are saying. Instead, just seal it up. Now, what's all this mean? I think, all right, the thunder is simply to remind us where John is, that he is in the presence of God. Because whenever we see thunder, typically in Scripture, it's another thing that's associated with the presence of God. Thunder, when God meets Moses on Mount Sinai, there's thunder there. In Revelation chapter 4, when John sees the throne room and sees Jesus, again, he hears thunder. Psalm 29 talks about and describes the very voice of God like thunder. So again, I think we're just to understand that John is in the presence of God himself. He's in the presence of God. So, so So John hears these thunders, right? What do they say? We don't know. John was going to write down what they said, but... A voice from heaven interrupts him and says, don't write it down. Instead, seal it. But the curiosity is wants to know, what do they say, right? Like, that's not fair. We, should, we need to know. We don't know. Sometimes there's things that God 
It's best for you and it's best for his glory that some things just remain private. Just remain private. Reminds me of the passage in the Old Testament where it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Sometimes it is best for you and best for the glory of God that you don't know. And so we don't know what they say. And then what happens next? The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So now John sees this angel raise his right hand to heaven. That was a common practice back in that day where you would raise your right hand. And we kind of see this today, right, in our culture. Put your left hand on the bottom, like in the courtroom. Raise your right hand. You promise to tell the whole truth, not but the truth, so I hope you God. You ever heard that, seen that? Okay. That's kind of what's going on here. So the angel's kind of like basically saying, I'm, what I'm about to tell you, that what the message is that I have for you, is the absolute truth. You can bank on this happening. And I'm telling you, and I'm swearing, that I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Based upon the very character of God himself, his faithfulness, his holiness, the creator of the universe. That's what he says. He he created all. He's like, I'm telling you, what I'm about to tell you is absolutely going to happen. And so what's he going to tell them? What's the message? Well, he tells us, right? That there would be no more delay, the end of verse 6, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced. And that word announced has this idea of good news, like evangelism, like just as he announced to his servants and prophets. Well, what, what did the seventh angel, what happened when the seventh angel blows his, blows his trumpet? We already read that. Revelation chapter 11, right? When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so the angel's basically saying, when the angel blows his his trumpet, evil will be defeated. Jesus is going to reign as king on earth, destroying the destroyers. Now, if you think back in Revelation chapter 6, John saw Christians who were being persecuted and suffering because they were followers of Jesus, asking the question, God, how much longer do we have to endure this struggle? How much longer? Here's the answer. Until the seventh angel blows his trumpet. Until Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom onto this earth. And I think John... This had to be good news. In fact, that's what the word means when it says, just as he announced. This had to be good news. And not only to John, who was being isolated on an island because he followed Jesus, but because the church at that time in the first century, the church, churches that John is seeing this for in the, in the country of Asia or the nation of, or the, the continent of Asia, right? And they were suffering. They were being persecuted, And so I think they're hearing this and they're seeing this and it's just a reminder to them the struggle is not forever. The suffering is not forever. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make things right. And he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And that had to be good news for John. It had to be good news for the church at the time. Verse 8, then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, told him to give me the little scroll, and he says to me, take and eat it. I mean, 
That's pretty unusual, right? Yes. Okay, it is. Unless you like ate paper as a kid, which I think we all have at some point, right? You have. All right, eat paper. So he's told to eat this little scroll, and he says to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages. So the same voice that told John, don't write down what the thunders are saying, speaks up again. And basically says, John, go take that little booklet out of the angel's hand and start eating it. I want you to consume it. And when you start eating it, it's going to taste great, but it's going to make your tummy hurt. All right, that's basically what's going on. It's like a milkshake for me. Tastes great, kills my stomach. All right, that's kind of what's going to go on with the scroll. All right, it's going to taste great. Basically, it means it's going to be good, but it's going to hurt. All right, that's, that's kind of the idea. So the message that John is eating is it's going to be good, but it's going to hurt. And this message is for who? He tells us the peoples and nations and languages and kings. It's for the whole world and the leaders. And so what's the whole purpose behind John eating this scroll? Use the Bible to understand the Bible. I think for John, who probably knew his Old Testament, he immediately would be taken back to the prophet Ezekiel. Why? Because God told the prophet Ezekiel to do the same thing. So to help us understand the meaning of John eating his scroll, let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 2 and see what God told him to do and the scroll God told him to eat. So join me back in the prophet Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Again, use the Bible to understand the Bible. So chapter 2 verse 8 of Ezekiel says, But you, son of man, referencing Ezekiel, says, Hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Again, this is Ezekiel chapter 2, starting verse 9. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of what? Lamentation and mourning and woe. Chapter 3, verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Verse 4. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Basically, they're just rebelling against God. So let me unpack. You can go back to Revelation 11. Let me explain what's going on here in Ezekiel 2. God tells Ezekiel, prophet, to eat a scroll. Eats the scroll simply as an object lesson that he has a message specifically to God's people, Israel, at the time. So Ezekiel's message is for God's people, Israel. And the message that Ezekiel has is one of lamentation, mourning, and woe. Basically, loud sorrow, painful grief. It's going to hurt. 
Why is God sending this message to his people Israel? Because they were such deep rebellion against God that the only way God could win their attention back to him was to place his people inside the clamp of his justice. Sometimes God has to do that. He has to place people inside the clamp of his justice to win them to his mercy. And that's what he's doing in Ezekiel's message. He's going to put God's people, his own people, inside the clamp of his judgment in order to win them to his mercy. And at that time, the clamp of justice was, you're going to go be slaves in a foreign land. And you're going to get there, and eventually, in time, you're going to repent, and I'll bring you back. Again, clamp of justice, invitation to mercy. That was Ezekiel's message, purpose for eating the scroll. Fast forward, Revelation 11. Go back there, all right? What about John's message? John's scroll. So John eats the scroll, Now, who is John's message for? All the nations, the world. I think the message is the same. It's going to hurt. This is a a message of lamentation. It's going to be painful. It's going to cause grief and sorrow. And so what John is being told, the object lesson with John eating his scroll is, God's not done with pouring out his justice. There's more justice to come. And just like he did with the day in the days of Ezekiel with his own people, he will do with those who aren't his people, actually with the very ones who are hurting his people and refusing his mercy, he's going to pour out his justice. I think that's the purpose behind John's scroll. That's the message. And so as we think through that, like how do we make sense of this, right? All that John is seeing in Revelation 10. So think of Frodo, right? Kind of use that picture. They don't know how the story's going to end. If you're a follower of Jesus, you do. You know how the story ends. It ends with Jesus winning, Jesus reigning on the earth, evil being defeated. And if you know him, you will be right there with him when that moment happens. And keep in mind, John is seeing this while he and the church are suffering. They're suffering. And he's just been told, you have a message of more suffering to come upon the planet. They need hope. John needs hope in that moment. And how good of God in this moment, while John waits for the seventh angel to have this other angel come and say, John, there's coming a day when there will be no more delay. When Jesus is going to come back, the struggle will be over. Jesus is going to reign on this earth as king. And if you know him, you'll be right there with him. And you can imagine just John and the church going, okay, thank you. I needed that. I needed that reminder in the midst of the struggle. I needed to be reminded of our future in Jesus. I think that's the purpose behind why God sends this angel in Revelation 10. And the the reminder is simply, listen, your promised future with Jesus ruling on earth as king is worth enduring the present struggle that comes with following him. I think that's the truth that God wants us to get a hold of here in Revelation 10 and the latter part of 11. And so let me ask you Another question, how should knowing your future with Jesus reigning on this earth as king, and if you're his follower, you being right there alongside him, how should that then impact how you live and view the battles that you face in the moment? Take a minute and talk about that question with the people around you. How should knowing, if you're a follower of Jesus, knowing your future of Jesus reigning and ruling on this earth as king, and you being there with him, how should that impact how you view and face the battles in your everyday? Church, this, what the angel says here, 
should cause us to just, yeah. Are you kidding me? I get so excited. I'd be so thankful. It says the loud voices in heaven shouting, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. Jesus wins. Evil will be defeated once and for all. And if you know Jesus, you'll be right there with him when that moment happens. Man, it's glorious. And if you know him, this is an opportunity to rejoice. Your king has destroyed the destroyers of sin and death and the shame of your past and the guilt of your present. There's coming a day when that struggle will be over. Hallelujah. Because King Jesus wins and King Jesus reigns. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I believe you're here because he's inviting you into his mercy. To say, I believe now, Jesus, you are king. I believe you died on the cross to set me free from that shame and guilt and sin. And now I'm surrendering my life to you as king. Maybe that's your moment today. But listen, the, the story is not over We're not at the end of the story yet. So we have an opportunity now to invite others in. To invite others into this story. To to be part of this kingdom of Jesus. Right? Listen, the gospel not only saves you from your sins, it secures you a place in Jesus' kingdom as well. And so we have an opportunity, those of us who are followers of Jesus, to invite others into this relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so who comes to your mind right now, church? Who is the Spirit of God laying on your soul and your heart right now to share this good news with? In a moment, we're going to sing, and I want to invite you to maybe just, I'll be off to the side, I'll maybe ask uh, Tim and Christy, if you guys will be off to one side over here as well, to just, if you need prayer this morning, just, you just need somebody to pray over you, just to remind you through prayer that the struggle will be over one day when Jesus returns, right? Our King is returning. Maybe you need to come and pray for someone that you know needs Jesus. However the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning, respond in obedience, all right? So let's stand together. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped. And let's sing, church. Let's rejoice to this king, the king of our hearts, a king whose name is Jesus. Jesus.